Welcome, everybody, to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on this week's episode, we're going to be taking a look at commentator terminology. That's how I'm phrasing it. Basically, we've got a threatening summer gauntlet of soccer ahead of us, uh, and it can be sort of impenetrable at times, especially if you're new to the game. But even if you're a crafty veteran, when you've got the Euros, when you've got Copa America, when you've got the Gold Cup, then the Olympics, we had the Nations League, there's tons of soccer going on with lots of different presenters saying lots of different things. And a lot of those things are reliant on terminology or shorthand turns of phrase that, again, if you aren't as familiar with them, if you aren't culturally steeped in some of the uh, the usages, then maybe they don't make as much sense and make it harder to understand what's happening. So my thinking was that with the summer we've got coming up, if you want to be prepared, but maybe you're not quite sure what some of the kind of more common words and phrases might be, then we're going to take a look. Uh, I asked Twitter. I got some suggestions. I've put them into two different sentences that we're going to break down. So I'll read the sentence, then we'll take it piece by piece. Here is the first sentence. Manchester United was not able to get much going in Zone 14, mostly because West Ham's defense parked the bus. So United were forced to attack down the channels using overlapping runs instead of inverted wingers and then sent crosses into the mixer. All right, we've got our sentence. Let's take it piece by piece, starting with Zone 14. We had a lot of questions about this, and we should note there are actually 18 zones. It's just Zone 14 that tends to be the one that we talk about. If we take a normal football pitch, I'm going to ask you to change your perspective at various points in this one, but if you take a normal pitch, you're standing in one goal facing the other, so you've got the whole field ahead of you vertically. That's how we're talking about it, vertically. If you imagine... Uh, basically it being divided into left, center, and right. So we've got three divisions on the field. Now if you change your perspective and go to like midfield, looking at the pitch from sideline to sideline, we're going to add six more areas there. So we're going to divide that field up from sideline to sideline by six. And now six times three, we should have 18 different squares or zones to break down. If you are standing in the goal, the zone to your immediate left by that left corner flag would be zone one. The zone that you are standing in in the center of the goal would be zone two. The one by the right corner flag would be zone three. And we advance like that all the way up to the opposite end of the field, where at the opposition side, uh, the left-hand side, that would be zone 16 by the left corner flag, zone 17 in the middle, zone 18 by the right corner flag. So that's how we're dividing the pitch. Zone 14, though, tends to be the one that is most discussed because it is the central zone that is located just outside the penalty area. And that is the ideal place for your playmaker, your number 10, to operate, to try to find space, to try to pull defenses apart. But that's where you want to sort of launch attacks if you can. But if the defense is parking the bus, then that's going to be a challenge. And in this scenario, that's exactly what West Ham are doing because they are crowding that zone and the zone just behind it. West Ham are parking the bus. It means that they've pulled every or almost every player behind the ball in an effort to clog the area in front of goal, limit the effectiveness of Manchester United's attack. And that means even with a skillful playmaker like Bruno Fernandes on the ball, if he gets past one defender, a parked bus approach means that there are several more already making a challenge or already willing to make a challenge and make his life difficult. 
And although he disagrees with getting the credit for it, Jose Mourinho is credited with coining the phrase in English when he bemoaning a dull draw between his then Chelsea side and his future employers Tottenham. Uh, he commented, Tottenham might as well have put the team bus in front of their goal. I guess parked sounded more poetic than put, but either way, it means that the team is being very, very defensive. So if zone 14 is clogged because uh, the bus has been parked, you could also maybe call that a low block if you wanted to. Think of a low block as being, it's basically low in the field, so it's in the defensive third, and it's blocking what the attack wants to do. So it's forcing Manchester United out wide. They moved away from the center of the pitch and instead attacked down the wide areas of the field, also known as the channels. Right channel, left channel, you're attacking down there. But if you have just one player out wide getting the ball and crossing it in, then West Ham can just stick one defender out there, and the threat of those crosses is very much reduced. You want to limit static play as much as you can. If a player just receives a pass, takes a touch, stands up, and then crosses it in, it's really easy to defend. But if you have movement and if you have different runs and different options, then it gets trickier. If we have a situation in which Manchester United's right-sided attacker is in a 1v1 scenario with West Ham's left back, United might send their right fullback, uh, who is not doing what his name suggests in being fully back. Uh, They might send him to run between the attacker and the sideline. If the defender doesn't track that overlapping run, uh, then the runner will be open to receive a ball into space. If the defender does try to track that run or maybe cheats over to split the difference, then you've got more space if you're the attacker to play that ball in or to try to dribble inside, pull another defender out, and ideally open up that low block, open up that parked bus just a little bit more. We'll talk about dribbling into the interior in just a moment, but for purposes of this scenario, as we said, Manchester United then elected to cross the ball in, putting it into the mixer, uh, with United using traditional wide attackers or wingers in this approach. You want a right-footed player on the right side to cross that ball in, and you want a left-footed player on the left side. However, if you want to stretch the defense and then attack through the middle, you could always invert those wingers. So you now have a left-footed player on the right side who, instead of crossing, they can still cross, but it's going to be with their non-dominant foot. But on their dominant foot, they're cutting inside and potentially putting themselves into a more favorable shooting position, Aryan Robin being the prime example of an inverted winger who can cut inside and is now sort of has that favorable angle to shoot with the dominant foot. But as I said, United instead opted for crosses, which means they put it into the mixer. And that's basically when you've just got a bunch of bodies in the box and everyone is casually okay with basically violence. It's a scrum. It's a bunch of bodies. Everyone's going to try to make a play. And you really don't know what's going to happen. It can veer into the foosball territory, but with spins allowed. That's controversial. Uh, Could be good. Could be chaos. It's the mixer. You don't know what's going to happen. So that's our first sentence broken down. To recap, Man United was not able to get much going in Zone 14, mostly because West Ham's defense parked the bus, so United were forced to attack down the channels using overlapping runs instead of inverted wingers, and then sent crosses into the mixer. We've broken that sentence apart, we've parsed it, we know the meaning, but I would also say that it's a good example of this sentence of how commentators, journalists who cover the sport, you have to find different ways to say stuff because you can't just say, like, they tried, they tried this, then they tried that, then they did this. It's not the greatest analysis, so a lot of these terms are sort of over-elaborate or hyper-specific or 
can be used to mean another thing that means kind of the same thing. So a simpler way to say this sentence would basically be Manchester United tried to attack through the middle, uh, but West Ham played very defensive and sat very deep close to their own goal. So then Manchester United had to move the ball wide and try to cross it in to create opportunities as opposed to having wide players cut inside and get shots off that way. Another way you could say it, but the terminology is always fun. So that's our first sentence broken down. Let's get to our second one in just a moment. But first, let's hear from today's sponsor. Today's episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN lets you change your online location so you can control where you want sites to think you're located even if that's not actually where you're located. It's the crux of like every hacker movie, even every like terrorist movie where you're trying to trace the call and suddenly they're in Jakarta. No, they're in Iceland. No, they're in Finland. We can't track them. That's what ExpressVPN does, except for your IP address. So you can make it seem as though you are in any country around the world. In this scenario, ideally not for nefarious reasons, mostly so you can watch the stuff you want to watch without having to subscribe to 13 other streaming services, because you can essentially supercharge an account, like let's say Netflix. Uh, You can get The Dark Knight and Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Canadian Netflix. You can get Rick and Morty on French Netflix. Solid. And you can get The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on Australian Netflix. Fresh Prince, living it up in Australia. I would watch that reboot. But this works with any streaming service, be it Hulu, BBC iPlayer, or YouTube, and Peacock as well. So if you are a listener in the UK, I will not do a fake British accent. I will just say that this is a way to get uh, Peacock, the streaming service, so that you can watch every Premier League game. It makes it easy. You can stream in HD no problem. It's compatible with all your devices, and it encrypts your data and lets you surf the web safely and anonymously. So go to expressvpn.com slash soccer to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash soccer for an extra three months free. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's episode. Now, let's get back to explaining some football terminology. Let's start with our second sentence. We've done the first. Let's get to number two. Messi's ability to play on the half turn meant that the defense was constantly at sixes and sevens and had to resort to cynical fouling to prevent Barcelona from getting through. Even so, they were under the cosh for most of the game because Messi was his usual unplayable self. Now, first of all, very good chance that if this sentence were to be said, it's being said by a British person. There are lots of British phrases in this sentence, but first, a more common one, at least in the modern era, half turn. When I use it, I'm usually talking about how quickly a player was able to receive the ball and change direction. So if they're facing one way, the ball comes in. It's how quickly can you basically receive the ball, turn and go the opposite direction. The fastest way to do this uh, would be to turn while you're receiving the ball so that you're moving in the opposite direction as quickly and efficiently as possible while maintaining control of the ball. So if a turn is a 180 degree change of direction, then imagine playing on the half turn is basically you're at a 90 degree angle while receiving the ball and then you complete that turn and away you go. If you're trying to get through a very defensive team, the faster you can be in an attacking position, the more likely you are to find little pockets of space or opportunities to pass or shoot. So you want to be able to turn to kind of disrupt what the defense is doing, especially if they are a bit more conservative, if they are a bit more static. They're going to be in their favored position, their ideal defensive position. So being able to turn quickly might just catch them out. It might give you an extra half yard, and that can make all the difference. If it does, you might create chaos, you might create a lot of difficulty for the defense, and that's where they would be said to be at sixes and sevens. 
I would probably not use this one uh, doing commentary or doing analysis, but as I said, uh, a British person might because it is a British idiomatic expression. It goes back over 900 years, and it's a way of saying in a state of complete disarray and confusion, Grammarist, the lovely website, traced the meaning of that one. Here's their summary. The term at sixes and sevens goes back to at least the 1300s. Originally, the phrase was rendered on six and seven and referred to a dice game where throwing on a six or a seven meant risking one's entire fortune. Uh, That phrasing evolved, as phrases tend to do. It's why we say I'm going to dial that number, even though there's no dial on our phones. Uh, The final part of the explanation, most probably the belief that someone had to be severely confused to risk his stake on sixes and sevens translated into the idiom meaning a general state of confusion. So all that to say, if you're trying to picture what sixes and sevens would look like, a defense being at sixes and sevens, it's basically pure chaos. David Luis on ice times 11. There you go. And if the team is a little bit out of sorts, if they are finding themselves in a state of chaos, they might have to resort to cynical or professional fouling. And we did get that question. What's the difference? Is there a difference? And I would say at the basic level is that they're pretty much the same thing. I would say the context of the usage is once again important. Both a professional foul and a cynical foul are deliberate strategic fouls committed with the goal of preventing an opponent from scoring or generally getting into an attacking position, is what Fernandinho is so good at for Manchester City. Sometimes he gets away with it, sometimes it's a very obvious jersey pullback to stop a counterattack from happening, and it's a yellow card. But it's professional, because professionals don't get into the violence of things, they don't go hacking each other down, and that is where I think there is a little bit of a difference. Again, Fernandinho pulling a shirt back to break up an attack, that's a professional foul that's maybe a little cynical. But if Fernandinho takes the opportunity to break a rival's leg or like scissor challenge on the way through, that's a cynical foul that is technically also a professional foul. And the major difference between cynical and professional would be how, again, a British commentator uses them. British announcers will show their displeasure at a tackle by calling it cynical. And if it's both cynical and shameful, that's British announcer speak for basically pure Outrage. So professional foul is like pulling that jersey back. A cynical professional foul would be uh, pulling the jersey back and then maybe also trying to break the leg at the same time. And so despite uh, in that above scenario, despite the cynical fouling, uh, the defense was at sixes and sevens and they were under the cosh for most of the game. And here we have another Britishism. Uh, It would mean under the kosh to be put under pressure or duress from idiomorigins.com. A kosh is a short weighted stick or truncheon commonly carried by street ruffians and dates to at least 1869. Dictionary.com would like you to know that to kosh someone means to hit them hard on the head with a kosh. That makes sense. So if you've got a street ruffian coshing you with his kosh, putting you under his kosh, then you're going to be in a difficult or challenging situation. There we go. And why is it that the defense was under the kosh? Well, it's because Messi was his usual unplayable self. And this is another word that is, I'm going to say a slight Britishism, because lots of people, uh, English language uh, speakers, would say a player is unplayable. I think it's, again, the context and the usage that's important. I asked my colleague Ryan Bailey, who I am assured is extremely British, and he informed me that unplayable, as I can see, is just that they're too good to play against. You can't stop them. I, I think from an American perspective, would assume that meant a player was playing so poorly, they were in such a bad run of form, that the manager thought they could not be played, they were incapable of being played in a game because they were playing so poorly, so they are unplayable on that day. 
But if it's a British commentator, a British person talking about it, then it means they're just so good, nobody could handle them. And Messi certainly qualifies for that uh, regularly. And I would say there is that little bit of a disagreement between the American and British audience. But uh, if it's this or having to hear about how they invented the game for the millionth time, I'm willing to give them this. So hopefully you are now able to break down those two sentences with relative ease. Uh, We will have more terms discussed as we go forward, but that is nine terms in two sentences. We have still many suggestions to get through, including flat track bully, double pivot, uh, low block, mid block, high block, touchline versus end line, empty bucket, uh, lots and lots of terms still to be explored, which we will do over the next few weeks here on Soccer 101. But for now, uh, I hope you will continue to listen to Soccer 101. I hope you will continue to listen to the Total Soccer Show as we cover every game of the Euros, talk a little Copa America in there as well. And we'll be discussing the Gold Cup when that kicks off. Again, threatening summer gauntlet of soccer looming. But if you can break down the terms, it's that much more approachable. Uh, So on that note, I've been Taylor Rockwell. This has been Soccer 101, breaking down some terms from the soccer world. I appreciate y'all listening. We'll talk to you again very soon. We'll be right back. 